0: I am in tech online JBA here and welcome to bonus episode 19 of diversity and mentorship in technology where we continue the conversation about diversity mentorship careers and business in technology with our guest each bonus episode is tied to a show episode so don't forget to check that out first if you haven't already done so now one more time let's reintroduce our guest Craig Lewis and get into a deeper discussion regarding the topic of the week freelancing your skills. So Craig, welcome back. Thanks. So what I want to do now is kind of talk a little bit more about, you know, your specific uh, role in the companies you've been a part of as well as some other things about freelancing and the gig economy as, you know, as we call it. So can you tell our listeners a little bit more about gig wage and how you kind of start at that?
1: Yeah, so gig wage is basically the fastest, easiest a most comprehensive way for small and medium-sized businesses and self-employed to pay, manage, and support their independent contractor workforce. And, you know, that's a, a longer way of saying, you know, payroll systems and methods don't always work for managing contractors, or they may be too expensive or whatever. And so what we found was that businesses and self-employed individuals didn't have a uh, industry leader in managing contractors. And as we've seen this kind of boom in the gig economy of more and more contractors, more and more freelancers, there weren't any systems out there designed to help people kind of use it as a workforce management system and manage that workforce. Everybody was trying to help you find a job, get a job, find people to do the job, but not manage the back back office stuff that, that goes into paying and, and, uh, supporting them. And so we saw an opportunity there and, um, we decided to build some technology to solve that problem
0: that 's a great system idea because I think even myself when I used to freelance uh, a long time ago, I would have the accountant or my accountant you know run run through the taxes and everyone wants to say, hey, just hand over the books to the accountant but as a freelancer sometimes you know, when you especially have a smaller business it 's good to Really take that and understand, you know, where your profit losses are and just the information. But a lot of times, uh, there's not a lot of information about compliance, tax laws. There was a question on Quora. One of the Gen Z asked, How do I start my business? I'm only, you know, 12 years old. (laughs) And I said, Well, you know, you can go to the Uh New York State uh, Department of DOS, I think that New York and have all information there. But it is confusing, right? Compliance and tax laws. Yeah. How does that, how does the compliance side of the business really help the freelancers? Because I'm definitely interested in that portion of it.
1: Yeah, so I think on both sides, actually, right? So, and the funny thing about freelancers, right, oftentimes you, they're all becoming what I call incorporated individuals, right? And so, as the freelancer, sometimes you're like the person that's getting the work and and getting paid to do the work, but also, you know, you may be getting paid as a business uh, with an EIN, or you may be getting paid as a person with an SSN, but you're getting paid There's going to be some compliance around that. But you can also be the person that's hiring contractors, right, subcontracting the work out. And so you're this incorporated individual, and there's a lot of overlap and a lot of current gray in legislation around freelancing and, and contract work. And so it's important to think about compliance not just as a freelancer that's getting work and getting paid and having to pay taxes and manage their own taxes, but also as a business, what your responsibilities are. In uh, reporting what type of contractors you're working with and how much you're paying, them, et cetera. And so it's a two-way thing with these incorporated individuals of understanding how to manage their business that pays out and uh, manages contractors and then manage themselves as contractors receiving contracts. So it's this two-way thing, and we think we can kind of help manage that. Uh, now, today, we deal with a lot of people that are just, you know, the business focused on, paying out and managing contractors. And so there's compliance there at what's the threshold, you know, are different states looking at different things and requiring different forms that you're in, and then making sure those contractors have what they need to go out and be compliant. And then kind of phase two for us is the other way, right? Really helping these freelancers, you know, understand their estimated tax wages, understand the reporting, making sure that's all neatly compiled for that accountant or, you know, HR Block or whoever they're going to go to at the end of the year.
0: Mm, gotcha. Gotcha. What I want to do is shift to the payroll system. And I think one of the important things that I looked at previously was I know you had tremendous experience over $10 million worth of sales in, in payroll and payroll systems. That's interesting because we're looking at a, a white paper, for example, in Turner that we're writing about Bitcoin and, and cryptocurrencies. And there were some, you know, payroll payroll providers starting to get into that and and that whole system. I wasn't a fan <laughs> initially years ago. My friend said to, "Oh, go into Bitcoin or yeah. cryptocurrency." But what is your take on that? Given you know the not shift, but add on and talk about the cryptocurrency market.
1: Yeah, so that's exactly how we kind of view it today as an add on. And so, being that we're focused on freelancers and helping businesses manage those freelancers and contractors, we we run into a lot of development shops. And so we a lot of our customer base is in the tech sector. And a lot of people that get paid are developers. And developers, as you know, were kind of the early adopters, uh, Mm -hmm. creators of cryptocurrency. And so they oftentimes want to get paid in, you know, whether it's Ethereum or Bitcoin or Litecoin or whatever it is. And so we look at it as the opportunity to, one, simplistically as an add-on currency to be paid in space too, though, as it's not only can you get paid in, in dollars or Bitcoin, um, we see that as an opportunity to kind of expand internationally. So meaning uh, using cryptocurrency and I, and, and, a, and I'll get into blockchain a yeah, little bit if you'd like to, but using cryptocurrency for international payments. And so uh, oftentimes people offshore their freelancers or contractors, especially in the tech world, but even now in writing, blogging, freelance, you see it all over the place. It may be someone in a a different country doing the work because we're in a global society. So how do we say, one, pay them out in crypto? But what we're also exploring is how do we use the crypto technology to convert from dollars to euro, right, and lower the cost and fees kind of through crypto, crypto technology? So paying out in cryptocurrency but also using cryptocurrency as a conversion tool, to expand and make payouts internationally with a lot lower fees and a lot faster payout times. So that's how we look at cryptocurrency at GigWage and some of the things we're working on internally uh, evolve around that. And then from a blockchain perspective, uh, you know, the contract between a business and a contractor, we have the ability to kind of uh, inject smart contracts and you know, kind of lower disputes on payments and work done and work performed and be able to really track all of that on blockchain. And so we we think we're actually one of the more useful use cases for blockchain technology and cryptocurrency. So that's definitely a part of uh, of our ongoing plan as well.
0: Got it. Yeah. It's a very interesting topic. And I know there are a lot of different thoughts about it. And some people say, you know, the fluctuations of the markets are, you know, is it long-term to stay? I think, I you know, I remember talking about PayPal years ago and first came out and kind of the same, yep. you know, trepidations there. So I think it definitely has some, some value for the, the future. I want to shift into another topic that uh, you're very familiar with venture capital. Uh, and we talked about some of this Venture capital on the show and technology and diversity. And, and we know how the difficulty of getting venture capital is in certain environments, but I wanted to kind of talk about that. Whereas you've successfully gotten venture capital, what was that transition for you and how did that change your perception of getting venture capital for, let's say, uh, less normalized or prominent individuals, you know, females, uh, minority, generally yeah. uh, less funded, generally speaking? How did that work for you?
1: Absolutely. And I think cryptocurrency actually plays a big part in this conversation as well, too, with some of the changes there. But I'll I'll start with kind of the basic thing of, you know, uh, my first kind of exposure to actual venture capital, so not leveraging uh, debt or loans to start businesses was at Kairos, and that's dot com, And so we were a venture-backed startup. And one of the things I quickly learned was if you had a big enough idea, you could make it make sense for the venture capital asset, and especially around technology. And it is very, very difficult, but it's a great strategy. Venture capital is not a success. It needs to be looked at as a strategy. And I think oftentimes people look at raising money as a success. I've just learned to view it as a strategy. And here's what I mean by that. If you build a traditional small business, you know, you may have a goal to drive $5 $5 million in revenue with that small business. And let's say it takes you 10 years to get to $5 million in revenue. And that's, you know, let's let's even give you the benefit of the doubt and say it's reoccurring revenue. That's a really good business. If someone were to come in and acquire that business, they may pay you a multiple of revenue, one, one and a half, two times revenue, right? Depending on the type of business it is. So you could sell that business, but let's say in a good case scenario, $10 million. Right. Right? So you ran it for, for 10 years, you you've made $5 million in revenue, you sell it for $10 million. The thing about venture capital as a strategy is if you have a good idea, a prototype, an MVP, a handful of customer proprietary technology, you can raise $2 million in the first year of your business. And it would be valued at, you know, depending on the market, anywhere from 5 to $10 million as soon as you take in that $2 million, Right. And so, if you turned around six months later and were able to sell the business, you would sell it for the same amount that that, that small business took ten years to get to. You. you see what I'm saying? Yeah. And so, it's a strategy. But you could also take that two million dollars and not be successful, right? So, it's not success; it's a strategy. And then, when you look at the fact that you know less than one percent of the people raising this kind of money that can create this kind of value that quickly, uh, you quickly find that you know, uh, you know, African Americans. Latinos, even, you know, women of color as well haven't fared all that well in uh, being able to secure that type of capital to execute on that type of strategy. And so that's one of the things myself and, you know, Brian Bertine over at Kairos, who is still currently the, the uh, CEO and founder of the company and people like Angela Benton for Me Accelerator. People, these people are all working on these things to, to change that paradigm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I love that philosophy of the strategy versus a success and VC capital. You know, even when when you go to raise angel capital investment, we finally got the angel for my last startup. It was, uh, you know, we still we still continued. It wasn't that was the end all be all. We started before, continued after. And I think that's so important to, to harp on DMIT listeners. You know, it's a strategy, not a success, because once you get that, you could also fail, but you still have a long way to go. Uh, and it's long just one part of the puzzle. Yeah, long, definitely there. I agree with you in that sentiment. One of the things I want to kind of look at is the Kairos. I know you mentioned as well the New Me Accelerator program. What are some other programs? I'm familiar with the Kapoor Capital program that you may, you know, other entrepreneurs who are up and coming that are interested in those kind of accelerator, you know, kickstart programs that you would recommend outside of you know, New Me, if any.
1: Uh, just in general. Or more for and on the diversity side. Okay, yeah. In general, uh, there's a ton of programs out there. Um, You know, Morgan Stanley just started its uh, just did its first annual multicultural innovation lab. I think you know for accelerators and and uh, kind of these boot camp style. There's a new one called Founders Gym that's in uh, Oakland, I believe. But there's a lot of them out there. You have to look at your type of business, and what I found is the best. The ones that I've seen that have done best for the entrepreneurs are the ones that are strategic. And so you look at a, I forget the name of the the accelerator, but Chase Bank has partnered with, no, excuse me, First Data partnered with Silicon Valley Bank to do a fintech specific accelerator, right? And so Mm -hmm. if you get into that accelerator, the network that you're exposed to and the expertise and the nuance of the industry I think it'd be helpful. So if, if for those that are out there looking for accelerators, you know, there's a lot of them out there that just give you money and mentorship, and you know, kind of this randomness. But if you can be strategic about it and get aligned with the giants in your industry, I think that's really the best approach.
0: Are there ones, you just called out in the beginning, are there ones that are specifically geared towards diversity candidates that you'd recommend?
1: Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, there's a bunch of, so Numi's Accelerator, uh, Founders Gym, the Morgan Stanley one is actually uh, a built, a multicultural, is built around diversity as well. Probably the most notable one, most active one, most the biggest voice in the room right now is Backstage Capital. And uh, it's not an accelerator, but it's a venture capital firm focused on early stage diversity. Arlen, who runs it, does an amazing job of acting as an accelerator and helping and making introductions and doing that type of stuff. And so... Yeah. There's a, there's a lot more popping up and, you know, I think a quick Google search and people will find, you know, what they're looking for.
0: Absolutely. Google's your friend. I said uh, backstage <laughs> capital Indeed. and multicultural innovation lab with the two DMIT to take a look at, especially if you're looking and have a big idea as they say for, you know, tech related industries. The last thing I want to kind of talk about is the author of sport of sales. Now that book, you know, obviously when I kind of did some research on Amazon, and trying to look around, what's the premise? That you hope people take away from you know looking at the sport as a sale overall?
1: Yeah. So when I wrote that book, it was uh, I actually wrote it about six years ago now. The concept is really just you know sales 101, if you will. And so a lot of it's actually really good for a lot of small business owners, entrepreneurs, et cetera, Because entrepreneurship is about sales, and everybody doesn't have that background. And so it's really just about how to approach sales, how to think about it you know, how to use process within sales. Oftentimes people think if you're charismatic or you have a big personality, oh, you'll be great for sales. And that's just actually not the case very much like in sports. Oh, if you're tall or if you're big, you're going to be good. That's just, that's just not the case. And so really showing the process to becoming successful in sport is it parallels the process to becoming successful in sales. And so, um, I think understanding the, the science of sales is really what that book is about, and what are the steps and the orders and the, and the repetition that are required to be successful.
0: Absolutely, I said I hate to call out two names, but Muggsy Bogues, you know, and <laughs> V.A. Bingo, who,
1: who Bingo, would
0: not, you know, and uh, it's definitely something that it's more disciplined process and focus rather than the traits you were born with, as they
1: say. Exactly.
0: Well, awesome, Craig. I want to stop there, and I want to thank you again for providing so much value to the listeners on the show, and just thanks for coming on the show and, and being a part of the experience.
1: No, it was great. I enjoyed it.